Alright, welcome to episode 6 of The National Pulse. I'm Raheem Kassam, editor-in-chief of thenationalpulse.com and it's Friday, February the 5th, the year of our Lord 2021, broadcasting from a very spring-like Capitol Hill today. I'm very excited about the weather being much better because it has been slushy and freezing and rainy and nasty and I'm British, and the weather means a lot to me. It's one of the only things we talk about where I'm from, the weather. But it also is perking me right up to see Washington, D.C. sort of coming back to life. And I know for a lot of you out there will think, oh, no, the swamp coming back to life is not a good thing. And I agree with you, the swamp coming back to life is not a good thing. But for a lot of us all around the country, indeed all around the world, life, life and livelihood and and everything that we enjoy about socializing and all of those things have been bereft in our lives over the last year or so. And so it's not so much about Washington, D.C. as it is just about everywhere. It's actually just nice to see some people. And while I appreciate that most people in Washington, D.C. probably do not feel the same way about seeing me, what I've got to tell you, it is uh, is a stark change from several weeks ago in the gloomy rain and snow as we saw our capital here on Capitol Hill come under lockdown. And of course, if you listen to yesterday's podcast, if you listen to what we talked about with Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and her falsehoods, her out right demonstrable falsehoods about where she was and how much threat she was under on January the 6th, then you know in my head and in my heart what I associate January with. So believe me, when I say from every little tiny bit of being that's within me is that February is a new month and we push on to new things. And that doesn't mean we forget the old things. Oh no, today's show, we are going to remember some of the old things. Because some of the old things, in fact, a lot of the time, a lot of the old things are what matters. And we're going to cover that today. We're going to dial in Kane, the founder and editor of Citizen Free Press, in just a moment. But first, I want to go through something that I know a lot of you would have heard of already, because we covered it in such detail on the War Room show this morning. But I, I need to come back to this Time magazine report. Because this Time Magazine report is absolutely extraordinary. It really is. It is beyond the ordinary. It is beyond the normal. It is out of the grey and drab and dull, just like we're out of the grey and drab and dull of January here in Washington, D.C. And suddenly, suddenly, we see some colour. We see some light. We see some, I think, inspiration in how victory can beget victory and one of those i know listen it's been a very hard few months i don't think anybody is denying that and i don't think anybody would deny that i think there are lots of things over the course of this show and one of the things i pride myself on is not dancing around or skirting around the issues not failing to mention as so many people out there do election fraud and 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 all of the things all of the composite parts of it And one of the other things we pride ourselves on is getting down into the nitty-gritty and the detail of some of these stories that I am frustrated you will hear from me as long as this podcast goes. You will hear from me day in and day out about my disappointment in conservative and right-leaning media that they do not get down into the nitty-gritty. So I'll move on to that in just a second, but first a programming note or two. 
a lot of you people have been reaching out to me and saying, hey, buddy, <laughs> we got used to listening to you at 3 p.m.s on Real America's Voice. What's the deal? And as I said in the first show, I think I said in the second show as well, the decision to turn this into a podcast was mine and mine exclusively. Uh, I was not pushed out at Real America's Voice. They didn't they didn't cancel the show, uh, but it was a it was a, a technical problem that I had going across town, being in that studio, working on production with a lot of moving parts on their end, and it just didn't work. You know, we tried it for five months; it was it was all right, but I I never settle for all right. You know, I want things to be really really good, and the reason I'm talking about this to you now is is for two reasons. Number one, because I read I, I read the comments and criticism and critiques. Uh, that I get on this show, I always do, I always have, I always will, and somebody left a comment on the podcast, hey, I wish Raheem would stop talking about production stuff and stick to the news. Well, no, I mean, you know, we're starting a podcast, and this audience is an audience, I think a lot of you have listened to uh, a lot of my work before, and I, I feel like I want to loop you in, and I want you to feel part of this, you know, the, we, you and I are a family. Whether you whether you like it or not, we're a family, and so I will report to you what is going on in my life in that regard. Uh, and I want you, I want you dialed in. I want you to know what's going on here. This is not a corporate show. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, pull the wool over your eyes in terms of production values and who's, you know, behind all of this and all of that. The fact of the matter is, you are. So I wanted to loop you in because Real America's Voice and I, we had a conversation this afternoon. Uh, they called me up and they said, hey, we love the podcast. We want to help you get it to more people. And so I reckon there's there's more to be done there. We left the conversation on a very good note saying, hey, you know, there will be a Raheem on Real America's Voice apart from when he's on the war room uh, in some way, shape or form. I think they're sending me some cameras next week. I know a lot of you wanted this show to go on camera. They're sending me some cameras next week. So we'll be able to broadcast to Real America's Voice and have snippets of this show on Real America's Voice, all the while reserving the lengthy, uh, detailed conversations that we have on this show for the audience that wants to tune in in full like you guys and gals sans interruption apart from when I interrupt myself but sans interruption sans advertising not having to break every eight minutes so that you can you know talk about razors or pillows or whatever it is right and now listen I, I love people with razors and I love people with I have the best people with razors and the best people with pillows <laughs> to paraphrase President Trump but this allows me to do a lot more and then the second uh, the second uh, constituent part of all of this is I wanted you to know that I have been a busy boy ordering some new equipment, and I really wanted to vent for a minute about this experience that I've had. Now, there's this company, B&H, I think it's called, in New York. They are renowned for their wonderful audio equipment. I'll tell you what they're not renowned for. Delivering. <laughs> Delivering on time. Uh, I ordered this equipment a couple of days ago now, paid the extra $50 for the overnight, spent my own personal money, not even the company's money, uh, not the National Pulse's money. I spent my personal money on buying thousands of dollars of equipment to put into this studio here on Capitol Hill in order to bring you a better show and a better produced show and paid the $50 for the overnight and it still hasn't arrived. And I called them up today and I said, where is my stuff 
they said, oh, well, sir, you know, because of its value, FedEx won't actually leave it at the porch, and they knocked, and you weren't there. I said, there, hold on, there was nothing in the order description thing, and in, in the receipt, and in the email that said there has to be a, a signature and a person present to receive this. There is a secure area on my property. A package can be left there, and even if you didn't think it could be, they tried yesterday and left a note. So I left them a note this morning that said, hey, I am not going to be there. Under no circumstances will I ever be there. Just leave the package. Here's my signature. And of course, they didn't leave the package. They tried again and said, oh, we'll try again on Monday. It's Friday. It's Monday. They're going to try again. So overnight, overnight delivery. And it would have been one thing. You all know it would have been one thing if they had told me in advance, hey, by the way, you're going to need to sign for this package if you order it this way. They didn't. So I called them up today and I said, look, you tried yesterday. They left They left two boxes out of three, right? So obviously they can leave things. Oh, sir, because of the value of the third box, they didn't want to leave it. But I said today that they can. They can leave it. I left a note that they can leave it. Oh, well, we can have it delivered to a, a secure location near you for you to go and pick it up. No, when I pay thousands of dollars for equipment and I pay the extra for overnight shipping, number one, I expect it shipped overnight. Number two, I don't expect to have to go somewhere else to go and pick it up. Or I wouldn't have asked for it to be delivered, right? I would have just gone to the store and picked it up in the first instance. That is the point of delivery. Why am I talking about this? Because it's so frustrating when you're trying to do a bazillion things at the same time and some bureaucrat is down the phone at you from the other side. You know, there's an old joke in uh, in England from, 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 a, from an English sitcom. I think it was Little Britain. It's just computer says no, computer says no. It's just this kind of NPC mentality to it where you can't actually, you don't remember that you're dealing with a human being who has a human life and is going to be doing other things and they've ordered for a specific reason a specific way i will stop ranting about it now it just it really really grinds my gears when something like that happens because listen at the end of the day this podcast is already doing fantastically well and i'm really appreciative towards all of you who have subscribed who are listening who are sharing this who understand what real news looks like and i'm just trying to improve the quality for the audience out there and i'm being told computer says no so I have some of the equipment, and I guess some of the equipment's going to arrive, you know, whenever they want it to arrive. Last thing on this, last thing before we get to the news, is that I said to them, hey, you know, by the way, we, we ordered this on Wednesday morning. No, Wednesday morning? It was Tuesday. It was Tuesday morning. It was Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. And it doesn't ship till Wednesday afternoon, and then they may try and make the first delivery on the Thursday. So I said, hold on, can I have my $50 back? Why would you want your $50 back, sir? Well, you didn't overnight it. It's called overnight shipping. We ordered it on the Tuesday. You didn't overnight it. Well, it's overnight from when we ship it. It's not overnight from when you order it. That's not what overnight means. That is not what overnight means. If you order, look, I get it. If it was ordered at 5 p.m., 6 p.m., 7 p.m. or later on, you're not going to be able to overnight it. Got it. It was ordered at 10 a.m. <laughs> you gotta expect it the next day. That's what overnight means. Overnight doesn't mean overnight from when the business decides that they're gonna package the order up and ship it. 
I can't. I feel like that's obvious. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm I'm from a different country. Maybe you do things differently over here. But me, me, if I order from somewhere, you get the point. Ugh. Had to get that off my chest. Had to get that off my chest. Also, by the way, I just had a very interesting, very detailed and interesting conversation lunch with somebody who knows a an awful lot about uh, Joe Biden personally and a lot about Joe Biden's family personally. And I feel very confident in saying that we're going to be able to bring you some really interesting news over the next couple of weeks. We have a lot more search terms now that we can plug into the hard drive from hell and look for certain things that I didn't even know were a thing before before I had this lunch today. So I'm very excited about that. That's the real business of reporting. That's the real business of getting down to the nitty gritty and the truth. And so let's jump into our first topic here before, just very quickly, before we dial Kane into this conversation. Kane is the founder and editor of CitizenFreePress.com, one of my favorite websites, not least because they link to a lot of National Pulse stories, and I'm always on there looking. But he also has such a magnificent sense of the news uh, that it's worth checking multiple times a day. A weird thing happened right after the November 3rd election. Nothing. That is the opening line of the Time magazine article, The Secret History of How the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election Worked. The article is written by Molly Ball, longtime Washington, D.C. reporter with the assistance of Leslie, Dickens, Leslie Dickstein, Maria Espada, and Simone Shah. The article appears in the February 15th edition of Time magazine, and you can bet your bottom dollar that I will be grabbing a copy of that. It'll be the first time I think I've ever bought Time magazine. The reason is... Last year, for the people who are new to this show and the people who are new to my reporting, last year we spent an inordinate amount of time going through the work and the work of uh, reciprocal organizations tied to a group called the Transition Integrity Project. I'm sure a lot of you, frankly, got tired of me saying those words. Transition Integrity Project, Rosa, Brooks, George, Soros, Bill, Gates, all of it. We exhausted almost every single avenue of research on that. Remember, the National Pulse has two staffers. We can only do so much. But we exhausted every avenue of inquiry that we could, that we possibly thought we could, that we could run down on that story. And we found out an awful lot and we reported to you, the public, the voting public, the taxpaying public, an awful lot about the Transition Integrity Project. The Transition Integrity Project was effectively a left-wing group born of left-wing people, very close ties to big progressive donors like George Soros and very, very close ties to uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and and lots of, and, and even the Chinese Communist Party through one of their co-founders, the Bagruin Institute. And, and it was almost a too-good-to-be-true story. I remember writing the headline back then and thinking, wow, this... I actually thought this, I, and I think I may have even said this on uh, on some of the War Room shows. This seems like a you know a conspiratorial fever dream. Soros and Gates and Zuckerberg and Biden and all of these guys coming together to orchestrate a wide-ranging, wide-ranging and deep conspiracy. Wide-ranging in the sense that it wasn't just in one area. It wasn't just voting machines. It wasn't just mail-in ballots. It wasn't just uh, you know taking control of the airwaves. It wasn't just banning people on social media. It was so many things all at the same time. Wide-ranging and 
deep, deep into the heart of America's constitution. Who runs the elections? Who gets to decide? Who changes the rules? Who changes the laws? Who funds these things? It was a very, very, very risky story for us to publish because it, it, if you get something like that wrong, your credibility is shot forever. People will always, always then refer to you from there on out as the election conspiracy theorist, the person that incorrectly reported on XYZ. And I'm, look, I'm a member of one of the oldest journalist unions in the world. I am a dues-paying member. And I take my work very seriously. Do I have my opinions? You hear them every day. And I do not hide them. I tell people my biases before I come to the table, before you come to the stories, before you start this podcast. You know, Raheem has his opinions. He has his biases. He's a human being. There is no such thing as a person that doesn't. And Anybody that tells you they can put their biases aside is lying to you. And I reported that story and it went super viral. And we had story upon story upon story as as corollary, corollary and reciprocal stories off the back of that. We told you about Ian Bassin. Ian Bassin. Doesn't sound like a particularly interesting character. Certainly not a very interesting name. But I- Sorry to all the Ians out there. But Ian Bassin, former Obama associate, White House counsel, but involved, right? Involved in a lot of the paperwork that we went through. Name kept coming up in the filings and the financials, Ian Bassin. And again, you go through this and as an editor and as a reporter, you go, well, you know, I've put the story out there. I've done everything I can do. I've talked about it on all the shows that will allow me to talk about it, whether it's the War Room and the John Fredericks Radio Network or other, you know, right-wing conservative-leaning networks. Of course, the left ones won't even touch it. And after all of it, you think to yourself, am I crazy? Did this happen? Did I take a misstep? Did I look at something incorrectly? Because the story isn't metastasizing in the news. The story isn't getting any bigger. Nobody's taking it on and reporting further on it. And then you realize, well, number one, the left isn't going to, because we've just called out one of their best buddies. Number two, the right is... Too lazy to, quite frankly. Talk about right-wing media. I, I talk about it, I think, every show. I think I have criticized it on every show. Uh, but I'm afraid my colleagues and, and compatriots and and, and, and fellow uh, people who share my opinion, who work in the news, um, basically, you're too lazy. <laughs> you don't do the legwork. So it kind of died there, right? We had Phil Klein on, talked about CTCL, talked about the Zuckerberg, Chan, charity stuff. All of it. All of it. I did it. I did it till I was blue in the face. For you, for the audience, for the for the for the news, for the truth. And um yesterday I get sent a link and it says Time magazine. Time.com forward slash five nine three six oh three six secret dash twenty twenty dash election dash campaign forward slash. That's the URL. And the headline is The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. And I I looked at that and I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election? That sounds like I wrote the headline. Save the 2020 election from defeat for the Democrats. Save the 2020 election from their terrible candidate. Save the 2020 election from... 
you know what the truth and what could have been and what was real and the landslide and the and the historical shift and the Latin American and Black American votes from left to right. That's what they're talking about. That's what was saved for the left, for the Democrat Party. But I could have written that headline. So I thought, hold on a minute, is this is this really Time magazine? Am I being spoofed here? Is this a fake? Is this some kind of mirror website? And I started to go through this and yeah, no, it is Time magazine. It is. And you get just four paragraphs down into this story ladies and gentlemen and you must read it you must there's a lot of things in here that are that are guff and that are filler it's 6500 words long but there is a lot of truth in here as well and the truth is being reported because people are now trying to take credit for what happened in november of 2020 of course if you have stolen an election for the left and the left is looking for somebody to congratulate to pat on the back to hand out bursaries to and big checks and lord and put on their zoom panel discussions and on the television and how do we who's going to write the book right who's, who gets the who gets the six figure maybe seven figure book deal so people are now pitching hey it was me it was me it was me it was me and we'll get on to who it was in just a second but just four paragraphs into the article here, ladies and gentlemen, the sentence starts, in a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as part of some sort of implicit bargain, inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive, racial justice protests in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. Now, barring that last few words, those last few words, the rest of that entire paragraph is in incredibly telling. It's incredibly telling. It is pulling back the curtain. It is saying the quiet part out loud. It is actually telling the audience, uh, remember, ahead, ahead of a Senate trial of a president that is being accused of fomenting insurrection on the basis of conspiracy, Time magazine has just admitted the conspiracy. Admitted a conspiracy existed. Admitted that the forces of labor... The AFL-CIO isn't really the force of labor, is it? For people out there that know what the AFL-CIO is, it's the force of big, fat-cat union boss, left-wing, progressive, hard-leftist interest. The AFL-CIO has fancy glass, steel, and gold-trimmed buildings in Washington, D.C. It's scarcely the voice of labor. Nobody in the AFL-CIO has rolled up their sleeves and done manual labor in any recent time. Nobody at the AFL-CIO has been into a mining pit or into a steel factory. Nobody at the AFL-CIO knows what it's like to crank a wrench. 
right? <laughs> like things are these are Brioni suit wearing fat cats who get their shoes shined by their members, right? All the while demanding membership dues, increasing membership dues. The AFL-CIO, the union fat cats, in an implicit bargain with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. What is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce? The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is the big corporate lobby. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce doesn't represent mom and pop businesses. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce doesn't even really represent medium-sized enterprises. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce represents the corporate business interest of the most powerful elite figures in the United States of America, the billionaire class, the people that have apartments in those ridiculously ugly-sized buildings in midtown Manhattan where you are often even above the clouds and yet you still complain that you have to share an elevator with a man in a hard hat. News junkies will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. There is literally stories out there, recent stories of very, very wealthy people complaining that they have to share elevators in high-rise midtown Manhattan apartments. But I digress. The point is, the AFL-CIO bigwigs and the big corporate America bigwigs get their shoes shined together, side by side, by their people, their workers, their members. You know, the lowest of the rung, the lowest of the rung in big corporate America and the lowest of the rung in unions are the same people. It's you. It's you. It's it's ordinary working class people out there. And these two groups, they get together. Remember, remember the, the, the most important part of all of this fight that's going on right now, whether it's Robin Hood, whether it's the Wall Street bet stuff, whether it's the political stuff, all of it. The most important part is it shouldn't be seen as left versus right in an explicit sense. It is the top 1%. This is the thing I always say, Occupy got this right. Occupy got the problem right. They got the solution wrong. The solution to fascism which is big business interest coupled with big governmental and institutional interest, the, the solution isn't communism, right? This is the war that's been raging across the Western world for the last hundred plus years, fascism and communism. And Occupy got the answer incorrect, but the diagnosis was right. The answer was incorrect. It's the 1% or the 0.01% versus everybody else. And here is it. Here it is in real time in the Time magazine article in an article that admits that admits that openly admits the collusion between these two vested interests. So the AFL and the CIO, they, uh, the AFL-CIO and the big corporate interests, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, they come together in a pact, an implicit bargain. And they say it even says inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protests. So the little guy whose house was burned down or whose shop was burned down or whose car was burned down or his looted and what, you know, put under threat, all of the things, all of the things that happened last summer with the, with the Black Lives Matter stuff. They don't matter. The little guy doesn't matter. 
in all of that. And the two billion, whatever it was, damage that was done as a result of BLM. And it was up there, probably even more than that, but that's the number that we're given, the $2 billion worth of damage that was done. Now they're ganged up on by the AFL-CIO and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. By the eighth paragraph of this article, Norm Eisen is quoted. Norm Eisen. And who is Norm Eisen? Well, Norm Eisen is described by Time magazine as a prominent lawyer and former Obama administration official who recruited Republicans and Democrats to the board of the, to the board of something called the Voter Protection Program. And it was Darren Beatty and it was Revolver.News back in September. Revolver.News back in September of 2020 that reported on Norm Eisen and Norm Eisen's involvement in all of this. And Darren Beatty and Revolver.News were called conspiracy theorists. They were, they were laughed out of the room. So you don't know what you're talking about. You're just bringing up names. Maybe you're even anti-Semitic. Norm Eisen, hmm. Maybe you anti-Semites are just picking random names out there of people to target. And now... Time magazine is citing Norm Eisen as one of the most influential members in what they call the conspiracy. What Time magazine calls the conspiracy. Ladies and gentlemen, Time magazine is scarcely a right-wing outlet. It is not in the business of supporting conservative narratives. But support a conservative narrative, it must here. Because it is reporting on something that is being briefed to it by the AFL-CIO people who are trying now to take credit for this because they want to go off and show their donors. They want to fundraise more. They want to show how effective they are, how important they are. And somebody wants to write the book and get a big payout off the back of it. And so Time Magazine has no choice but to report the truth. And they can gloss over and call them, oh, these nice voter protection. You know, these people are only trying to do the right thing. But they admit something very pivotal in all of this and we're going to get into it right here so just a few paragraphs into this article and I, I really do implore everybody to read it for themselves I always say do not take my word for it don't even believe that this exists until you see it for yourself okay I am not here to act as your encyclopedia and I do not wish you to become a drone that just listens to Rahim and takes what he says for gospel I want you to push back if you disagree with me. I want to hear about it. I want to hear about it in the comment sections on our Telegram or put it in our podcast, uh, you know, the comments, review, review section. I want your feedback because guess what? That's what democracies do. They don't shut people out and close down their comment section and delete their accounts and ban people just because somebody's pushing back. Even if somebody's pushing back with false information or fake information. That's what the First Amendment is about. You get to say your piece. And just a few more paragraphs down from where Norm Eisen appears, we get this paragraph. Quote, that's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told. So an admission that this story is the the basis of this story is the participants wanting the story told. Them going to Time Magazine, going to Molly Ball, going to these other reporters and saying, please now report this story. Now that, now that January the 20th has passed and an inauguration happened, sort of happened, didn't really happen. 
on the back of $500 million spent for the National Guard to be here on Capitol Hill, militarize the U.S. Capitol like has never been done in human history before. Now that that's over with and we've spent the public money, $500 million, look it up, $500 million for an empty inauguration to inaugurate a president who was selected in the middle of the night after votes came in in the middle of the night, in the dead of the night, in the dark of the night. Remember how the Washington Post always said democracy dies in darkness? They were right. But it turns out they weren't trying to issue a warning. They were establishing a mission statement. Democracy died in darkness. And $500 million of your money, while these guys are now telling you, hey, you're not getting $2,000 checks, you're actually getting $1,400 checks. And by the way, the big corporates are getting bailed out again. And Robinhood is going to stop you from trading and making money on things that you want to do. All the while, the Bloomberg Terminal is basically a private Reddit chat channel that costs $3,000 a month to make Michael Bloomberg rich. But you can't have the same thing on Reddit that's open and you can't make any money either. But we will spend $500 of your money militarizing the capital so that we can have an empty inauguration. That's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told. Quote from Time magazine. Tell your friends, tell your left-wing friends, tell your progressive friends, send them this. We've got it up at the National Pulse. It's on Time magazine's website. It's all over social media right now. Quote them this next line. Quote, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage and control the flow of information, end quote. Should I go through it again? A well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage and control the flow of information. Ladies and gentlemen, if I had written that paragraph, I would have been called a lunatic conspiracy theorist, anti-Semite, you name it. This is Molly Ball writing in Time magazine in February of 2021. The article goes on to quote Mike Podorza over at the AFL-CIO. It talks about so much more. How they used Black Lives Matter and George Floyd's death. How they used the coronavirus. How Zuckerberg and Chan plowed money into local election races. What Phil Klein came on and told us 
back on our National Pulse television show back in October. And everybody said to me, Raheem, what are you doing putting him on air, talking about this money that's going, $250 million that's going into certain races? I said, what is that? That is nonsense. It's just conspiracy crap. Uh-uh. That's not true. It was right. He was right. Amistad Project was right. We were right. I want to try and dial Kane into this conversation now. Kane is the uh, founder of uh, Citizen Free Press, one of my favorite websites out there. As you know, I like to dial people in live. If he picks up, he picks up. If he doesn't, he doesn't. That's the way this show goes. We've not had anybody not pick up yet, but Skype is a different issue. I keep telling Kane, get your hands on a an iPhone so that I don't have to do this on Skype and I can FaceTime you in, but he insists... <laughs> on keeping his old device and as you can hear we don't have a pickup from Kane right now so we'll wait and we'll wait to hear back from him but I produce this show in real time I don't do any post-production on this this is real this is raw this is the way it goes and I'm not going to edit this out that's the wonderful thing about it but I will text him and say where the heck are you while we go through more of this story I was sort of hoping that he would uh, he would pick up immediately so that we could uh, we could go through just the exact moment that I that I read to you in that article, but there's a whole lot more that we can go through. I'm just texting him right now, calling you right now. Did you receive it? But that's okay because we have plenty to talk about, and I will pause on that article right here, actually, on second thought, and and wait to bring Kane into the conversation on that, because what I want to bring in also is the hypocrisy of all of this, and and the failure. <sighs> We're going to have to do a lot of this, okay? But the failure of the establishment media to report things on the Democrat side that actually mimic, mimics, mirrors the, the allegations and the claims from President Trump and his team and people like me who have said for months now, hey, yes, election fraud did happen. It really did. I wrote about it in advance of the election. We did tons and tons of reporting in the aftermath, statistical analysis from some of the sharpest minds and PhDs in statistics out there. Put graphs and charts and everything together. Kane texts me back. He said, try again. So we're going to try again right here while I continue on with this. But here's the thing. We have another story up at the National Pulse right now as well. It's called High Profile Democrat Lawsuit. So... Okay, great, because we're because we're live. I do this live. I don't I don't do any production on this. Nice, I'm ready. <laughs> well, you're good. You better be ready because you're in the conversation already. Okay, Ken, we're so grateful for you joining us. Let me just let me just conclude my my last thought very quickly. There's a story up that we have on the National Pulse, and Ken, I want to get your thoughts on it too. I'm sure you've seen it already because uh, it's appeared in other places too. High-profile Democrat lawsuit insists voting machine quote, misread thousands of votes, and now they are demanding manual audits. That is in a New York congressional race, and none other than Perkins Coy's Mark Elias, the guy that has confronted the Trump side, alleging that there was election fraud, and confronted the Trump side, and even mocked uh, people on the Trump side of this whole argument about election fraud for months and months, saying this doesn't happen, it's not real, they're conspiracy theorists. Mark Elias' own firm is arguing that, quote, some 
substantial errors and irregularities plagued the New York congressional race, 22nd district. They cited differences in hand ballot, hand counted ballots, and machine counted ballots. Kane, we're talking about the Time magazine, the stunning article from Molly Ball that walks people through that. And I thought to throw in as a corollary to that right now, this thing about the Democrat New York 22nd, uh, the lawsuit that's coming off the back of all of this. Your immediate thoughts. Well, you're exactly right. I put up that Mark Elias story in the last 30 minutes. It jumped off the pages. I think I first heard about it last night. You know, you hear Mark Elias's name and your antenna immediately jump up. As you know, because you were essentially the one making the most noise about it, Elias was out there for two months at least before the elections priming all of these states to allow all of uh, every measure, every matter of mail-in voter, well, I'll go ahead and say it, mail-in voter fraud, because that's what mo voting by mail leads to. So there's Elias out there loosening all the strings, making it easy in all the blue states and, and as many red states as he possibly could. I'm sure his lawsuits had something to do with what happened in Pennsylvania and Georgia under Republican legislatures. So yeah, so here's Elias. How ironic, how beautiful, how wonderful. He's filing this lawsuit. There's In the link that I've got up there, he's, he says there is reason to believe that voting tabulation machines misread hundreds, if not thousands of valid votes as undervotes, and that these tabulation machine errors dispor disproportionately affected his client, the Democrat. Just so people know, that's that New York 22 near Syracuse race where a Republican is leading, I believe, by about 125 votes. That was the last I saw several days ago. And now, jumping back to that Time Magazine piece, that's another one when I read it last night, when I thought immediately of you and Natalie and the National Pulse, because, again, you sort of led the reporting there. Um, and it, it just felt like a victory lap. I could, you know, it, it glosses over the $300 million that Zuckerberg and his group put in to sort of grease the skids in all of these blue districts and or, or blue urban districts and um so yeah it's been an interesting 24 hours i'll toss it back to you for for a new thought it's a it's a stunning admission i think and i don't necessarily think it's even meant to be an admission it's supposed to be a victory lap right somebody at the afl cio probably probably this chap that actually you know i said earlier on in the in the podcast today that we nearly got all of it between darren Beatty and, and and natalie and myself but we didn't get the whole thing and and one of the things we didn't get is this afl cio chamber of commerce link up uh, but but somebody clearly is briefing this to Time magazine. Somebody wants the credit. Somebody wants the seven-figure yeah. book deal uh, that comes off the back of all of this. You know how we how we beat Donald Trump. The inside story. You know there's there's absolutely going to be a book uh, that's like that, and there's going to be a whole fundraising round off the back of that. Kane, that's just how things work in this town. And and it's got to the point now. I was even having lunch with somebody earlier, and I said y y you can't hate the grift because the ta the, the town of Washington D.C. is so excited expensive to live in that people have to do things like that just to be able to pay their you know bloody seven thousand seven thousand dollar a month mortgages but it's it's up to up to us to understand that and combat it rather than complain about it this article is six thousand five hundred words long and it is a litany of admission how do you think this plays because we have a senate trial coming up should every senator be furnished with a copy of this article should every single seat have a copy of this article placed on 
Cabinet seat because I think fundamentally what, what it does is it, it washes the president's hands. It says, hey, there was a conspiracy. You can't incite somebody under false pretenses if the pretenses are correct. That's a fantastic point, you know, um, and and it would it it should and would be required me- reading for all members of the Senate who are going to place this uh, you know place this country in in this stupid position starting next week of attempting to impeach a private citizen. It's um, you know a lot of my readers. I posted the direct link to that Time Magazine article as the top link overnight when I shut down the site at about 3 a.m. And a lot of my readers complained. They didn't even want to see it. And I don't think that those readers really took the time to examine what was in there. As you said, more than 6,000 words. It's got everything. And and there's definitely, I think you make another good point. Someone leaked it. Someone wants credit. Somebody was taking a victory lap. And uh, and I'm surprised that it all came out there. I was stunned when I came across the article. I, I couldn't believe that some of the quotes I was reading, just it just sort of seemed like the the tarp the covers had been blown off and that and that they were ready to. Uh, I guess they assume that they're not going to get any blowback from the mainstream media from from their lefty Democratic media. So go ahead and 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 let the world know all the hard work you put into making sure that this deal happened and that and that mail-in voting was allowed to occur with with as few and uh, with as few restrictions as possible. You know, it gets my blood boiling. Um, you know, something that had sort of gone away for the past 10 days or so. But there's no doubt there was a concerted effort in the fall of 2020 to make sure that that every possible scheme and manner of, uh, of deceit was available to, to Democrat operatives. So yeah. it's not good. Yeah. I think I think the last part, and and by the way, I mean it's it's super in your face. They they they're even so confident of Brian Stelter and the left wing media not bothering to cover this that they use language that would, if if written by a right winger, would be seen as incendiary and, as I said earlier on, even anti-Semitic. You know, they use conspiracy, cabal, powerful people, and and then they go in and quote Norm Eisen. I mean, again, if 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 that were in Breitbart, Oliver Darcy would be having conniptions over it. It's saying that, you know, Breitbart's invoking anti-Semitic tropes and, and so on and so forth. And yet in this Time magazine article, Molly Ball feels so, so confident that nobody on the political left and nobody in the media left is going to even bother reporting this to their audiences uh, that she can use just the most inflammatory and incendiary words uh, to describe what's what's been taking place here. Now, the last section of the article, Kane, I think really speaks to what we've been talking about here, which is claiming credit. The article actually states, quote, As I was reporting this article in November and December, I heard different claims about who should get the credit for thwarting Trump's plot. Liberals argued the role of bottom-up people power shouldn't be overlooked, particularly the contributions of people of color and local grassroots activists. Others stressed the heroism of GOP officials like Van Langeveld and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who stood up to Trump at considerable cost. 
the truth is that neither likely could have succeeded without the other. And so this is where it comes back to the what, what Peter Navarro wrote in his first report. And I know he called it something different, but I actually pulled out a line and called our article what I think was the buried lead in that Navarro report, which is theft by a thousand cuts. And this is what the Time magazine piece is, 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 is establishing here. No one of them could have succeeded without the other, Kane. Yeah, and it's, you know, the it struck me, the language in the article struck me, and it's unfortunate now that, that our enemies uh, come from our own side. Uh, that Raffensperger, that Kemp, that others from the right, I don't know if you saw this, but there are some billboards in Texas. There was a story yesterday, some billboards in Texas telling the Republican Party to essentially disown Ted Cruz and the same with Louis Gomer. And the article that I found, it just says it's, it's a Republican group, right? Mm -hmm. And I did a little digging, and it's Olivia Wilde, I think is her last name, Wilde, and she was the one who worked for Vice President Pence and was fired sort of aggressively in September um, and led out of the White House, apparently. Um, and so she... So she joins, uh, and she declared she was supporting Biden starting in, in September. But how this ties in is that she's sort of one of these, you know, these Republicans for Biden that suddenly gets so much media attention. And, um, and that article, the Time article, exposed quite a few others. It, it, you know, there's no doubt it, not that the, uh, we used to call it Stop the Steal, but there's no doubt that the election, um, uh, not sure of the right word to say if we're not going to call it fraud, but mm -hmm. you know, we can call I don't think fraud. it could have occurred. I think I think that writer is correct that it took a they took took a coalition, and uh, that coalition succeeded. And you know, here's the thing, and this is my this is the last thing I'll say for five seconds. Mm. It's really all about the media. It's what you said. It's it's the writer being confident that the leftist media is not going to expose it when you know that 95% of journalists aren't going to question you, aren't going to aren't going to expose the bad things that occur on your side. It's an, it's an entirely different world that you operate in. And I'm not exactly sure how we win a battle when, you know, win any important battle when it's us against them. Right. Well, in, re in reality, when it's us against us. Right. And, and that's that's something I'm really thinking about in, in, in great detail lately is, you know, maybe maybe, you know, I have to give a speech. I have to give a speech out in um, Phoenix in about two weeks time for, for Hillsdale College and I was thinking of entitling my speech uh, something like the tent is too big um, and, and, and making the case no really I mean make making the case that there actually isn't you know Mitt Romney is simply not in the same political party as yeah. Matt Gates, right yeah. they they they, they, they you might technically be in the same party, but you don't believe fundamentally in the same things. And it often gets called a, you know, a war on the right or an, or an internecine fight. And I actually don't even think it is that. The tent is too big. Mitt Romney must be in his own tent. He's, yeah. he's not in the tent of conservatives. Yeah, let's put him with Joe Manchin. Let's create a mini, let's create a center tent and let's put Murkowski... And, and we'll throw Romney, we'll throw Joe Manchin, you know, Manchin, he probably want to leave the Democrats. We'll throw him in this center tent and we'll just sort of call them, you know, in the, going forward, these next two years, their votes are going to be highly sought after. So I can imagine all the, all the pork and all the, uh, 
all the offers that are going to flow the way to this center tent. I guess Susan Collins could also be in that tent. We could put Ben Sass. We'll give him a special leather chair, a big giant pink one. We'll give, <laughs> we'll give Sass a pink leather chair. Um, and, and we'll have Romney's wife. She can do the haircuts for everybody. Um, yeah, you know, that's a really good point. And I, can't, I didn't know you were going to do that speech at Hillsdale. I'm going to have to, you're going to have to make sure that's covered live. And I'll post that live link on Citizen Free Press. I think that'll be a very, very interesting speech. Especially if you go with that theme. Um, yeah. I think that would be a good thing to suss out, yeah. Well, Kane, I've, I've, I've banged on for about an hour on this already, and I'm really grateful for your time. So I want to just quickly change topics and, 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 and update our audience with, with what's, you know, what's hot for you, what's important for you, what's going on right now. Uh, because I think so many people have followed Citizen Free Press uh, for, you know, for the last couple of years at least. I know you, you've been going four plus years now. And so many people have followed it and followed its success. And they love the comment section and they love the stack and, and the links and following live how, how you break down the news and, and, all, and all of that. So what, what is big for you right now? What are you focusing on? And what, you know, how's traffic and what are the expansion plans? Okay, that's a good series of questions there. Um, yeah, I'll give people, who new listeners who, who don't know a quick sort of summary. At Citizen Free Press, I'm attempting to replace Matt Drudge. So I'm updating headlines about 18 hours a day on and off from about 10 in the morning until 4 a.m. As you said, the success of the site is due to my readers and due to CFP Nation and due to our commenters. We get 7,000 or so comments a day. I try to do 100 links. 70 of those links will go to will go to directly to outbound stories, such as stories at, at National Pulse. And 30 of the stories will be my own stories, and those are the ones that will have comments. Um, as we look forward, sort of traffic and growth, I think you and I both talked privately in the last couple of days but since the inauguration of, uh, of the Pretender-in-Chief on January 20th, I've seen probably about a 15% decline in daily traffic. And those are, you know, that's nothing to be bothered by because we grew essentially 100% from the beginning of October until January right. 20th. So we're giving back about 15% off the top. And I can understand. We'll see if some of those readers come back. But um, I can understand why people would be frustrated especially right at the start of the Biden administration. Um, in terms of expansion plans, well, we're just going to keep trying to grow and, and, and do it 24 hours a day. I know what you're hinting at, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to break open, <laughs> That's okay. Break open that I, I'm very, day. I'm just very happy for my audience to know that there are expansion plans that you're working on. You don't need to go into any specifics. There you go. There you go. And maybe next week or the week after I'll be able to talk a little bit more about them. Um, you let me, by the way, give me a cue when I'm getting close to the 15 or 20 second mark. But I wanted to say, I wanted to bring up, in case you hadn't mentioned it lately, readers, listeners, the National Pulse and Raheem Kassam and Natalie Winters did a fantastic job over the last 12 months. They, in, in, uh, in January, they did 15, I think more than 15 million page views. I want you to know 15 million page views is a huge number. That's probably in January. That's getting close to half the page views of the Chicago Tribune. Wow! For example, Chicago I didn't even know Tribune, that. Yeah, Chicago Tribune is is you know has more than a hundred writers. We get to fifteen million page views with essentially two writers, um, and and churning out eight to ten stories a day is a heck of accomplishment, especially when you're considering you're doing the war room two hours a day, and then this <laughs> show an additional hour a day. So I just want people to really understand that you know. 12 months, 
after 12 months on my side, I was doing 3 million, maybe 4 million uh, a day, excuse me, a month. Um, and, and so 15 million really is a, is a heck of an accomplishment. And so let's hope that 2021 is a good year for both of our sites. I'm really, I'm really grateful for you saying that and your, your, Public relations check is in the mail, Kane. Thank you so much for the <laughs> for the kind words there. Um, and and I I am it's it takes sometimes you, somebody like you to come along and and remind me of that because you know on a day to day basis we just we just plug on ahead and and you you don't really have time to worry about you know is this is this comma in the right place in the headline will it make people click more or less and and so on and so forth and to repay the compliment as well ladies and gentlemen as as a, as a you know I don't need any prompting on this. Citizen Free Press is genuinely one of the only websites I check all day long that isn't my own, right? And and Kane and the team, they do such an amazing, amazing job of cutting through the just the BS churn uh, of the mainstream media cycle and getting you that signal in, in, in just such a wonderful format. It's just a stack of links. And the wonderful thing, Kane, that I think is I always tell this audience don't take my word for it, right? Go away and do your own research and do your own reading and go to the source. And I think a lot of what you do does that. Even when you have links back to your own site, you put in the video, you put in the tweet, you let you treat people like adults and that they they can consume the news on their terms. So the compliment goes right back to you, Kane, and I'm, I'm really grateful for your time today and for you joining us here. All right. Well, thank you. Look forward to next week. I like this style. I like the podcast. It's a lot a lot more flowy back and forth. I think I think it works. And, and I got a call from Real America's Voice today. They said they want to they want to send a camera because they still want Raheem on the air. So I think it's worked out best for all parties in this. So they're going to they're going to be throwing a camera in this uh, in this room pretty soon. Kane, we'll speak soon. Take care. Have a great weekend. All right. You too, buddy. Cheers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh all everything else uh went very well apart from him not picking up the first time i thought it was a fantastic uh, fantastic appearance fantastic interview from kane the citizen free press nation i love all of those guys over there i sometimes like to lurk in the comment section and read what they're saying there's nothing better to me zero in the news media world and the feedback of the audience you keep me on my toes you keep me abreast of situations you keep the news tips coming in you're awesome and I can't wait to record every single podcast every single day because I know I get to talk to so many of you out there and, and I care about so like, just so much of what you think and how your lives work. And I'm going to actually be bringing audience members onto this show. It's kind of a call-in type show so that you can have your voice out there and you can say what you want to say and you can scream at me if I'm wrong about something because that's what it's supposed to be about. I love jumping into our Discord channel. We have a private Discord chat channel over at thenationalpulse.com. People can join up for just $5 a month. All you do is you go to thenationalpulse.com forward slash support. There are literally hundreds of people in there every single day. Great patriots who I love chatting with. And they we have a rapport and people dig for information. And I'm so appreciative because they pay $5 a month or $10 a month. Uh, you know, you get to choose your level of membership at the website and 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 they support this website they support our news they support this podcast they think that there is something to be said for doing real news and investigations and i feel that way too 
I want to wish you all a very, very happy and restful weekend. I hope you get done what you need to get done. We have a long, long road ahead of us. So much news coming out next week as well. Keep your eyes on the website publishing some really great stories and pieces of analysis over the course of this weekend the nationalpulse.com have a great day evening whatever time of day it is for you cheers